We are uh, going through, uh, in our local body here, uh, the book of Proverbs. Um, in our body, we, we go through the books of the Bible, and we'll do like a few um, topical studies. But our, our aim is to basically go through every book of the Bible. The reason why we do this um, is because left unto our own flesh, we'll probably stay into the areas that are most comfortable for me as your pastor, you know, wanting to look real smart and stuff. And so uh, to troubleshoot that is really cool just to say, Lord, we're just going to read what you tell us, and we're going to exegete your passage, exposit it, and see what God wanted us to understand. And we're going to wrestle, wrestle with hard issues, issues that uh, we... We don't understand uh, some issues where the Lord gives us great revelation, but we do it as a body. And we're committed to um, God's truth, and that's how we roll. And so we've done John, Galatians, Colossians, I mean, Genesis. Then we get to lay the land of where we're headed as a body. We, we have this week, and then we have next week, and then actually we'll be done with our series of Proverbs. So praise the Lord. We, amen. I hope you've been encouraged um, through the series. I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about Proverbs in a moment, but I just want to give you a little snapshot. After we are done with Proverbs, we're going to take a, a little time to celebrate what the Lord has done. And then we're going to enter into um, our series, which I'm really excited about, uh, about the church. Really looking at, so what, what, do we, what do we mean when we talk about church? And I think we need to take some time and really dive into the scriptures on what is God talking about when he talks about ecclesia, when he talks about you, the organism, the church, ecclesia, right? So we're going to be doing our series on ecclesiology. All right, that's going to be our series. We're going to do ecclesiology, and we're going to run that all the way um, uh, till Advent, right? Then we're going to celebrate uh, the coming of the king uh, and have a great Christmas. And then uh, after that, we're going to have a great time of celebrating vision and talking and recalibrating our vision uh, in the beginning of January. And then we'll move, which seems to me to make sense, praise the Lord, as we've been seeking the Lord in prayer. Uh, we talked about what is, it, what is church, and then we're going to take a look at church, and we're going to hit our next book, Acts, in the beginning of the year. Okay? So that's the series, all right? We're going to finish Proverbs up. Praise the Lord a little bit. Ecclesiology, Advent, Christmas season, um, right? And then we're going to hit uh, Vision and Acts, all right? That's where we're headed. Um, Let's pray together, and then we'll jump right in. Okay, guys? Oh, Lord, we are so thankful that we uh, get to open up your Bible. And, and Lord, thank you, and we do. We, in our pride, in my own pride, uh, I do want to know, like, it's only by your grace that you reveal your word to us. And so we are not just smart, and we don't just get it. But, Lord, thank you for revealing your truth and not allowing us to walk around here just stupid. Lord, thank you for being so gracious to us in that way. And Lord, we ask that we would not just know your facts, but Lord, they would lead toward worship in our hearts, and you would use this time toward that end. Would you use my, my words, Jesus, by your grace? Uh, we confess, I confess, I know, without you touching what I'm sharing, without you leading this process, without you leading me, Holy Spirit, uh, Jesus um, does not get the glory, and, and, um, and I'm here being a futile human, I pray you would uh, supernaturally do a work so that Jesus would get the glory. And we ask in Christ's name, amen. Um, so the book of Proverbs, uh, I've said this probably 20 times, and so you're probably tired of uh, hearing it. But what I love about saying things so many times is you should never forget it, right? You should wake up in the middle of the night and, oh, my goodness, That's, that should be the, 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 pro, the posture. So... Right, like just because you've heard it so many times. So um, I, could, I, would, I could do a test, and one day I'm going to do that. I think at the end of one of the books, I'm just going to pass out a little exam and just see how we do. But don't be nervous. Still come back. But um, what, with Proverbs, um, it's an interesting book. It's a book of, of pithy sayings, axioms, um, and, and the, the, the whole goal of Proverbs is wise and skillful living. All right, that's the whole point of Proverbs is what does it look like uh, to, uh, to be wise as we um, live life as humans? And, and so if you haven't had a chance, please go back and, and check out um, some of our earlier sermons, which talks about the, the construct of which, how we went about the book. Um, the book of Proverbs is, is very unlike a lot of books in the scriptures. It's not a historical book. Um, it's not uh, an epistle. Uh, basically, uh, you got, it's, it's a wisdom literature uh, with poems, and, and it's very intentional. The whole point of Proverbs being short, pithy sayings is so that you can know them and memorize them. Because uh, what God is saying, here's what God has said, this is good, this is right. He wants us as people to be able to take it, internalize it, and then live life in light of that. So that's the whole point of why Proverbs are so 
pithy and so short, and sometimes they even rhyme. And that's the, also the reason why it's not like a narrative. It's not like you can just read through the book of Proverbs and kind of follow a story, but he's trying to give you little snippets of what does it mean to be wise in the Lord. That's also the reason why you have to interpret the book um, in, a, in, in a specific way according to the genre, right? You cannot interpret Proverbs. You've heard me say this a million times, right? You cannot inter- pro- interpret Proverbs like you would interpret a gospel or like you would interpret a uh, historical book like Genesis, right? Um, you can't do that because basically the whole point of Proverbs is topics, okay? I tell you that because what we don't want you to do, especially if you're a visitor, is think um, that what we do is we just go and find a topic and then we try to, we try to tell you what God says about it. Uh, we do that if God tells us to do that. And he tells us to do that here in Proverbs, okay? What we usually try to do is we try to say, okay, here is what the, the scriptures are saying in the historical document. Here's the lay of the land. But that's not what's happening in Proverbs. Uh, we realize the best way to interpret Proverbs is to look at the whole book and to say, wow, look at all these topics and do what they call a systematic study of the topic, Okay, that's the best way to interpret Proverbs theologically. If you look at the whole book and you say, what is the Bible saying about wisdom? What is it saying about being a fool? What is it saying about, um, you know, um, seduction? What is it saying? And so what is it saying about wealth? What is it saying about friendship? And you go and you look through the whole book and you gather all the different pithy sayings, the different mindsets that, that God wants us to get. You put them all together and then now you get what they call a systematic understanding, a systematic theology about a topic. Okay, so that's what we've been doing for a long time now, and uh, we have today, uh, which is a very um, helpful topic, and that's the topic of truth and dishonesty. Now, remember, uh, Proverbs was written many years ago at 970, uh, theologians say 970 to 930 B.C., uh, you know, Solomon, uh, the wisest man ever, uh, wrote Proverbs, and you have a couple other guys helping him out toward the end, Agur and, and uh, Lemuel, uh, Lemuel. And these guys wrote Proverbs for this reason, for you and I, as a people of God, to say, what does it mean to walk um, with the Lord? And so today we're talking about truth and dishonesty, which is a very humbling topic. So I want you guys um, to be all here, uh, to, to, to be with me on this one, because it's a hard topic. Uh, I think this topic actually speaks against our culture, okay, um, on a prioritization of truth. So I want to process that with you, and uh, I want to encourage you, if you don't have a Bible, grab a Bible. Hopefully the verses will be up, but some of the stuff we'll be sharing won't be on, in verses. So uh, when that happens, you can pull out your Bible as well. also want to remind you that you'll have stuff. Um, there's information when you walk out of this auditorium to your left. Uh, there's a Proverbs document that I've been ran- that's just raving about all year. Would love for you to have that. If you, if you, I'm sorry, if you don't have that yet. And that document, um, by the hard work of our body, I just think you guys have been amazing, uh, put together a document that just gives you basically a cheat sheet of all the different topics and Proverbs and all the verses. So I want to encourage you to grab that. I'm toward your end. All right, so let's jump right in, guys. Truth and dishonesty. Now, um, here's the goal of Jesus in the text, all right? When, you t- when you're looking at Proverbs, specifically in the realm of truth and dishonesty, the goal of Jesus, and hopefully this will be, uh, this is the aim we would move toward, is that you and I, um, we would love truth and hate dishonesty. I would say that's the goal, hopefully even today, that we can build a framework and a conviction that you and I would love truth and absolutely hate dishonesty. Now, I say that because I think a lot of us, we have a casual kind of, we think dishonesty is bad. Uh, we think... Um, you know, it's unfortunate when people lie and are dishonest. But the real question that hopefully will be proposed in your mind as we go through the scriptures is, do you hate dishonesty? Is it a, is it a personal affront to you? Because I want to propose it's a personal affront to Jesus. That dishonesty cuts to the core of who God is because God is. And that's truth, Right? So let's first look, what we're going to do, we're going to look at the importance of truth. We're going to look at what Scripture says about that. We're going to look at dishonesty. We're going to look at casual dishonesty. Then we're going to look at some verses about that. Then I want to basically, hopefully, unfold some cultural distinctives that we can fall prey to uh, when dealing with this issue of truth and dishonesty. First, let's talk about the issue of truth, Um, the definition. So truth is the state of being the case, right? Uh, It's the body of real things, um, events, and facts, right? So, so truth is who God is, okay? 
It's not just what he says. It's not what he knows, but it's who God is. And what I want to do is I'm hopefully can build a case that, that, that is intrinsic, okay? We talk about the communicable and incommunicable attributes of God. That truth, like God, that's where truth lies. He is truth, okay? And this is why this should be an absolute, uh, uh, this should be so important to us because it is absolutely important to God. That the stakes are high. Because the demonstration, now if that's true, if God is truth, right, it's, 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 incommunicable, it's this communicable attribute that he lets us be truthful like him, but it's part of who he is. Um, the demonstration, us as people, the demonstration of how we live our life, how we act, actually de- determines how God is viewed by people. Does that make sense? So if God is truth... And then he gives us an opportunity to act like him and model truth. Then the reason why, one of the reasons why this should be so important is because your display, the way we act, actually will provide a clear picture of who God is. Or may I dare say, an unclear picture. Right? Have you ever had that happen? I mean, you've been at a party if you're a friend or you got a uh, girlfriend or if you're married or if you just, you got homies. You go to a party and you're hanging out with somebody, and this happens a lot with spousal relationships, so that's why I, I definitely live there. But you're, you're sharing something, you and your spouse, and uh, all of a sudden, you're, you start sharing, and your spouse starts disagreeing with you on the facts. Have you ever had this? See, I'm looking at the lady, it's like, mm-hmm, right? Right, you be sharing, like, yeah, man, so then this happened, man, and then this happened. And she'd be like, no, that that's not what happened. Now, and, that, and that's just in normal facts. But now, if you start sharing about a situation that you guys both encounter, and you start really getting her wrong, have you ever done that? Where you share a fact that you thought was fact to someone, she's there, and it's about her. She now is really frustrated. Wait a minute, sweetie, that's not what happened. No, babe, that's not. Here, here's what happened, right? She gets upset, or you, or I get upset, because at some level, I'm feeling like, man, you're, you're misrepresenting me at this point. You're not telling the true story, right? And so as we live and walk and do and have our being, what happens when you and I don't see truth as absolutely paramount like Christ does? What happens, we have the tendency to misrepresent Jesus. And he's sitting there going, that's not exactly what I said. That's not exactly who I am. Why are you saying that? That's not exactly what happened. So the stakes are high when we're talking about uh, truth and dishonesty. Let me give you um, a few Proverbs. Chapter 30, verse 5, just to encourage us. It says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Just to say, hey, here's how God views truth. Verse 23 of chapter 23, buy truth and do not sell it. By wisdom, instruction, and understanding. You see that, guys? He says, buy truth, don't sell it. Don't give away. The, the, the posture is when you get truth, don't give it away. It's so important. Look what he says in verse 26 of chapter 24 of Proverbs. Whoever gives an honest answer kisses lips. Kisses the lips. Verse 13 of chapter 16. Righteous lips are the delight of a king, and he who loves him who, and he loves him who speaks what is right. Which I think actually verse uh, 13 of chapter 16 and also verse 17, verse 7 in chapter 17, I think are both eschatological, meaning that they, they are dealing with uh, some prophecy that God has for us. First of all, I think he's not just talking um, to a big-time king. I think he's talking about being the king, too, at the same time. But also in the same framework, in verse 7 of chapter 17, he says, Fine speech is not becoming to a fool, still less is false speech to a prince. So he's talking also, you know, absolutely to those who are princes in this day and age. But I wonder if there's something of him talking about the now and not yet, knowing that he's going to, he has his son, Jesus, who dies on the cross, rises from the dead, and then makes us his co-heirs, may I dare say his prince and princesses. And he says, guess what? This is how my people roll. So point there is truth is really, really, really important. Do we all affirm that? You know I'm trying to trick you. know I'm trying to get you in the spot here. Y'all know I do this every week. So we all affirm in that, right? Truth is really important. Okay. All right. Let's talk about the destruction of dishonesty. Dishonesty is falsehoods, right, um, or misleading statements that misrepresent truth. 
right? Something, a framework that misrepresents truth. And the reason why they're absolutely scary is because, guys, they hurt people. They hurt community. Falsehoods destroy, right? You heard an example of the guy... um, he was, uh, the guy, the guy was uh, so excited uh, to, to confess because he realized he had hurt this guy, you know, and he was like, man, I'm so sorry uh, that, that I hurt you. Um, and what, what can I do to, uh, to make it right? You know, I know I, sh- I share some falsehoods to you. And the guy said, well, hey, why don't you go ahead and every person you put, uh, you share lies to me with, why don't you go ahead and put a feather on their doorstep, right? And when he goes around, he puts a feather on all their doorsteps. And the guy comes back and says, well, I did all, I did what you told me. What else can I do? And dude was like, you know what, why don't you go back and gather those feathers? And the guy went back and he said, man, I, you know, they're all over the place. I don't know where they went. He said, and that's how it was with you when you told lies on me. See, the danger of falsehoods, and I think it's, it's different than you even stealing from someone. When you steal from someone, you give it back to them. There's hurt there, right? There's pain. But falsehoods are deep, guys, because they can affect hundreds and thousands of people from our lives. Look what it says in Proverbs 6, verse 16 through 19. There are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. Verse 18, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet that make haste to run to evil, a false witness who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord among others. Now, our Lord is smart. He is truth, right? I love the Lord. He gives us two are the same ones in there. You see that? What's the two? Lies. You see that? He said, by the way, if you didn't hear what I said in the beginning, I really hate lying people. I hate when something's not the reality. Why, though? Think about how God created us. Because he's real. He created reality, right? And so what we do is whenever we lie, we basically are formulating a false reality. It's an affront to the Lord. Because, like, I'm going to create my own world, my own life, what I want to be about. It's an absolute affront to God. What are some ways we do this? I mean, we have casual dishonesty. We all struggle with this, right? Uh, and that's the one thing we've seen in Proverbs is Proverbs takes us each, every time, to the brink of, of that we can't do this, right? We look at this and we go, oh, my goodness. Look at the casual, evil dishonesty that we have in our life. Uh, can I just give a few? Uh, first is slander. Right? That's lying with the intention of doing harm to another's reputation. Has anyone ever done that? There's two, three Christians in the house. Right? Where you lie and you you know, you know, well, I didn't, you know, in your heart you want you want to see this person be looked upon differently, in a bad way. Gossip or tail bearing, right? This person loves to tell things, right? You, and and, I'm, and I'm, I'm, I'm a, I've been a pastor now in this community for six years. I've been doing church ministry, you know, Christian ministry for, I don't know, uh, 17 years now. And this, you, you, you see this, this person, probably two or three of them in, in local bodies a lot. All right, this is a person, they always have news to share. They're always in the know. But here's a key, here's a key component of a gossiper. They don't care if the facts are correct or not. So that's the danger. They don't fact check them or they fact check them, but they habitually reveal, what they'll do is they reveal personal information of another person or sensational facts about another person without their permission. Do we do that? Through the Bible says, um, an evildoer listens to wicked lips and a liar gives ear to a mischievous tongue. See, the thing about gossips is not just the gossip's bad, but really it's the hearer too, right? If you see, see, see the thing about what I'm realizing about gossips, I'm, I'm not as hard on them because they have to have a place to lay their garbage. See, so if they don't have a place to lay their garbage, guess what happens to the gossip? They go without a job, right? They become jobless. If you have a local body who doesn't listen to gossip, who doesn't listen to lies and cuts it off right at the root? Do you not think that God is going to redemptively change that person's heart or show them like, man, everyone here is saying, I don't want to hear that. 
Why are you not talking to this person? Can you imagine our local body? If we're that passionate, like Jesus is about truth because he retells his story, and we say, no, 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 no. Right now, it seems like you're gossiping. Can you imagine how that would change our body? So think about it. We have an opportunity to remove malignant rumors. You hear stuff that are not true. You hear things. And right there, you have an opportunity to be kingdom-centered. We all do. We get it right sometimes. We don't sometimes. But hopefully, it's in our minds we realize this. Selson? Yeah, but, oh, by the way, we ask questions in our local body because we want to, this is very important for us. Go ahead, Selson. The assumption, I love that. Good question. So, so Selson, you really, you're asking, but isn't there also a way to see sanctification happen? So is there any opportunity where we are supposed to reveal personal information of another person? Absolutely. The one thing that we talked about a lot in Proverbs in the beginning that is hard to keep building each week on the same things is that Proverbs and the Bible, for that matter, when it's talking about holy things, assume, assumes that we're thinking from a holy perspective. So when he says this, he's not saying you can't ever say anything about any person who where you have personal information. The assumption is in a godly way you absolutely can, right? If you're in a discipleship relationship, and, and the relationship has a fabric of redemption where the whole point is to be pointing you to Christ and pointing you to vision, then absolutely, right? And so what I love about the gospel is that it's super messy. He says, here are the standards. Now, go enjoy Jesus, and it's messy, and you know, what my heart, you know the heart I want you to have. Let's see how you do. That's basically the gospel, right? Let's see, see how you do with that, right? And that's why you come to Christ, and you're like, oh, I love Jesus. Jesus is my king. And he's like, now, everything you do is expedient, but everything isn't, right? Everything is lawful, but everything isn't expedient. You're free to do everything, but all things aren't good to do, right? That's what he tells us in the Bible. What's the point there? Is that now I want you to do everything in Christ. So good question. The assumption is that all this is done in Christ and that you know when you're getting personal information because now God is going to get the glory or when you just want to make sure that you're in the know. You know when that's happening. Come on. Right? You know when you're getting personal information because you want to get, sort of stack your deck against somebody and when you want God to be glorified. You know the difference. You know when you're getting personal information and you're absolutely neutral. You don't, you're not really caring about God's glory. You're not really caring about dogging them, right? But you're just kind of like, well, this is good to have it, right? When you know you're not even in the sphere of influence of, of helping that person toward Christ. You're not a discipler. You're not in their mat group. You don't even hang with them. don't got their number. Why do you need to know something about them that's personal? Right? So um, let me keep going. And uh, go ahead, go ahead, Caleb, real quick. Amen. And, and now, now I, I want to encourage our body. This is what I think we do very, I think we do this better, and we do this very well as a local body. I think we're very good at telling people, and, and just affirm you guys, Dami, one of our interns who was here, one of the things she said when we say, hey, so what, tell me something that the Lord really used in your life. She said, I was blown away that in this body, I would have an issue with someone, maybe a, a pastor or something like that, and everyone would say, well, you need to talk to him. You need to talk to him. She go to her mad group, you need to talk to him. And she was like, I never had three, four people. I ask each person, they all tell me, go talk to that person. She said, I never, I, never, she said, I never experienced that before. And so I just want to encourage you guys. I think we do that well. I think we're like, hey, so, you know, again, as, as Thessalonians says, I think we do this really well. Let's keep doing it all the more. All right, flattery. Flattery is insincere praise, okay? We do that, flattery, right? Saying something that you wouldn't say behind, and this is interesting with flattery, that you wouldn't say behind their back. Right? Have you ever said something, that, right, like, like, you know, so I'm up here and I'm teaching, right, and I totally bomb the talk. And you're like, you come up to me talking about, good talk, pastor. Right? And you know it was foul. Right? Now, the question you got to ask yourself is, would I have said that to my friend at Mudgee's that same day? If you can't say it to your boy at Mudgee's, don't say it to me up front trying to make me feel better knowing that you're lying. See? That's an example of flattery. It's when you get, it's like, see, flattery is all about, you no, know, like, who gets the up? Who has the upswing? Like, who, like, who, um, 
who has the edge, right? It's about getting edges. So let's stop that as a Bible. We don't have to do that, right? Well, you can tell me if I bring it. Praise the Lord. So um, <laughs> just um, Proverbs 17.20 says, A man of crooked hearts uh, does not discover good, and one with a dishonest tongue falls into calamity. Um, half-truths. This equals, uh, you know, half-truths, not telling the whole truth. You tell a little bit. Exaggerations. Pastors, we're, we're famous for this, right? Representing something as better or worse than it really is, right? Me and Sarah get in a ton of arguments because I'll exaggerate, and then she'll be like, no, nah, here's the facts, brother. And she'll, she'll point me to the facts, and I get mad. I'm like, hey, I'm leading this family, woman. I'm just kidding. So, um, <laughs> so she's awesome like that. Um. Excuses, but these are ways that we're dishonest. So I want you to understand, these are dis- this is all dishonesty. This is all different ways of lying, okay? So don't think, oh, that's just, that's in some other camp somewhere. You're lying when you exaggerate. When you flatter, you are lying. When you tell half-truths and you set it up for you to look okay, you just lied. You just showed that you don't get that God is truthful. Excuses. When you attempt to lessen the blame of something, attaching to a fault or offense, we ever do that, right? You're guilty as charged, and instead of just saying, boom, yep, but, yeah, I'm guilty, but dishonesty. Why is that dishonest, Eric? It's not reality. You follow me? I'm trying to help us understand, because some of us think, well, I don't do all this other stuff. But you might be an excuser person, where you love, you always got an excuse. You never just come clean. See, that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. You don't have to have an excuse. Just come clean. Yep. Sarah, I'm sorry I sinned against you because of this. Will you forgive me? No excuses. Or, in our community, as we neighbor, misrepresentations of ourselves, right? We can do this when we, when we can have an inaccurate portrayal of ourselves, right? We do this by living standards, by how we dress, by how the words we use, by our speech, right? If you don't have... A lot of money, why do you have an Escalade? Little things like that. That's dishonest, right? If you can't buy books for school, you shouldn't have Jordans. That's dishonest. Why do you think you're doing that? Why do you think you're putting makeup on and getting your nails done and getting your hair all tight when you're broke? Because you're trying to put a portrayal in front of people that's dishonest. I ain't saying you got to look crazy. Right? You ain't got to go, well, okay, because I'm broke, I guess I won't do my hair, I guess I'll be dirty. No, that's not my point. My point is you don't have to take life and say, okay, here's the reality. I don't want people to know my reality, so I'm going to dress it up. You see the difference? It's an issue of integrity because our king is a truthful king, and it's important to him. Now, okay, why, why, is, why if this is the case, and we all struggle with this, why is this so prevalent in the local body? Can I propose to you why this is so prevalent? Let me propose to you this is so prevalent because we have pr- pr- reprioritized traits, guys. So what's happened in our church culture, and you see this all over the place. Let me get my Bible. You see this all over the place. Basically, the, the, the dominant culture is telling you and me, and we're buying into it as a local, as, as a people of God, is telling us that feelings and attitudes and relationships are all more important than truth. Okay? We're saying, in fact, I mean, I've been, I've been called out a few times as a pastor as I lead you guys in the pastoral community, right? Because people will say, look, man, in, in, in a nutshell, unity People, people want to do things, right? And so I'll say, well, actually, our churches are going to do that, right? Because these guys don't really believe the gospel. These guys are in prosperity theology. I'm not about to be locking arms with cats who are telling people you love Jesus to get more money. That's evil. That's not the gospel. And you get other doctrinal churches, people who love the Lord. Now, I think some of their doctrine is cupcake, but they, they understand the gospel. And they'll look at me and say, well, Eric, but what about unity? We should, and what they're really saying is that we should be doctrinal minimalists to be ecumenical, right? We should, we should minimize our doctrine so that we can be unified. What kind of unity is that? If I don't agree with you, what kind of, we walk, we, we lock in our arms. I'm like, I don't even agree with this brother, but here we go. What kind of unity is that? 
So I want to propose, and this is, this is very, this is important, because you're going to struggle with this, and we have struggled with this, even through our church discipline. You know why? Because we think, hear me, unity is more important than orthodoxy. You hear that? The, the culture is trying to change us and say, no, it's it, almost like the, the, the biggest heresy is not orthodoxy. The biggest heresy is that I can't believe you weren't being united. I've had that happen where people are in sin, sinning, unrepentant. And, you know, people say, yeah, yeah, he sinned. But, man, but she, well, she's so sad, and, but she's crying. And, and her, and her, but her and her husband, they just, they're, they're so sad. And why, why, did it, why I got to be like that? And we don't even, we don't even, di- well, yeah, yeah, I know, she, I know they sinned because we look stupid to not say, oh, I know they sinned or I know, you know, I know something. But I'm saying, no, 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 you got to pause there because God, he would say that truth leads out of love. He says, we have truth and out of truth, are we able to love? That's the difference. You go, Eric, we'll prove that. Let me give you one little tidbit. I know I'm going, let me give you, go to Matthew 21. I think it's a very profound story. Let me give you an example of how this works practically, guys. Matthew 21. And I'm trying to convince our church. I'm trying to convince you. Don't fall prey to saying feelings. Like, so you have these feelings. You're like, oh, man, I want to be loved. We have so many unbelievers who come into communities, and they neighbor, and they build stuff, and they have chickens in their yard, and they, they're, they're tearing down houses and all that stuff. You don't have to be a believer to do that. You just have to have feelings. Unbelievers got that too, right? That's not the posture in which we lead. And then what happens is in your feelings, oh, look at those people. Oh, and we need to do something. Then you have a love, but the love isn't girded in truth. If we're saying God is truth and unbelievers can do all the same things that we do in development, then I'm proposing to you that you can have all that framework and it still not be truthful. And if it's not truth, folks, Jesus ain't trying to hear it. It's not the gospel. I don't care how many houses you develop. I don't care how many people live in your house. I don't care how many people like you in the hood. It don't matter if it's not truthful. Are you hearing me, body? Look what the Lord says. This is Matthew 21, verse 25. I just want to give you an example of how this plays out. Very profound passage, in my opinion. Look at what he says. We start at 23. It says, And when he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Now, don't miss this. Remember the concept of truth we're talking about, okay? So these guys tried to catch Jesus. What authority are you doing this? Jesus says, Okay, we ask some questions now. Let me ask you a question. Verse 24. Jesus answered them, I also will ask you a question. And if you tell me the answer, then I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Check it out. This is our Jesus. The baptism of John. From where did it come from? From heaven or from man? All right? He asked a question. Look what they do. And they discussed it among themselves saying, okay, all right, hold up. Hold up, Jesus. All right, if we say from heaven, he will say to us, well, why didn't you not believe him? Why didn't you believe John? If, he, if the baptism is from God, why didn't you believe John? Why didn't you walking with him? Okay, so we can't say that. But if we say from man, we're afraid of the crowd because they hold that John was a prophet. So they answer, Jesus, Jesus. They answer, Jesus. We don't know. We don't know. And he said to them, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see what happened there? You notice that passage? You notice what happened in that passage? Notice, Jesus asked them a, a, a question, right? They converse. You know the one thing that blows me away whenever I read that passage? No one in the crowd who was trying to figure out the answer never asked what is the truth. No one cared what the truth was. Everybody was wondering what is our angle. Everybody was going, so wait a minute. If we say this, this could happen. If we say this, this could happen. No one said, now wait a minute. But was, was John baptism from God? Because if John's baptism was for God, if it was from God and it's true, then we need to repent right now and be joining Jesus. You see that? No one ever said what's true. No one ever said. They could even say, well, I don't think it's from John. I think, I think, you know, he made this thing up. So now at least we can have a conviction to go tell the people, why are you following this false God? You see what I'm saying? They were moving from feelings. 
What was their feelings? Greed, power. And so at that point, truth was down here somewhere. They didn't care about it. Do you see that? Their posture was, what's my biggest angle? Not what's true. Guys, we do that every day. We do that every day. Someone asks you a question. You get in an argument with somebody. It gets to the point where you're so, we're so prideful, we don't even care anymore about what the truth is. We're just saying, how do, I, how do I make it where I seem right? How do I make it where I get the glory? All of a sudden, truth goes somewhere. So this is what the world tells you. It says now you have feelings, and then you show some love because you got these feelings, and then that love, you say, now we need to be united, and we're going to be united because we need to have relationships, right? And then, you know, yeah, yeah, we love Jesus, and da 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 but soon as, this, you know how this gets checked? When we have to deal with issues of orthodoxy that's in the scriptures, like sin. Right? When we got to deal with covenant community, holiness, right? Biblical grace. All of a sudden, we get to really know where truth is on your parameters, on your, on your framework here. I want to propose we got to get, we got to recapture, guys. We got to recapture a biblical model of our priorities. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says all this moves from truth. All right? You can put these fillings down here or on the side because all the all fillings are are just the cake. It's the icing. Ooh, I got good fillings now. Right? You love people. You can love people and not have a lot of feelings. Right? You can be united and not have a lot of feelings. You can be in relationships that are biblocentric, redemptive, God-honoring, and not have feelings in different points. In a sense of when we think of feelings, you know those nice, happy, shiny people feelings, the Bambi feelings. You might not have those. And that's why God lets truth gird and, and move from those because if you go from here, this is fleeting. What keeps me married is not that Sarah always makes me happy, right, and makes me laugh and tells good jokes. What keeps me married is the truth that God has said that we have covenant together until the day I die, I will, I will serve that woman and sacrifice my life to her. Period. It's over. That's the end of the story. So all this other stuff where we arguing and we mad at each other, and we're doing all these things by faith, we stand on this. How much more when the scriptures tell us the covenant community is like a marriage? Okay, let me give you some scripture verses real quick. First John says, to disprove this a little bit, so you get, well, well, truth runs out of love. Well, no, but first thing, well, in Corinthians it says, you know, the great love chapter that they always talk about at weddings says you can have all knowledge, but if you don't have love, you don't have anything. Absolutely right. This isn't combating that. This is affirming that. Let me show you. First John says this in 4, uh, in four verse 8. First thing, God is love, right? God is provides the foundation for love, guys. God is. The whole point is that God is. That's a fact. That's the truth. God is saying, this, this embedded, and you start unpacking that, you get all kind of truth, and that is going to allow you to flow through love. Let me continue on. 1 Timothy uh, 1, uh, 5 says, look, look what Paul says. The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. You see that? You see that, guys? Instruction is, a found, is the foundation and leads to love through purity and faith. You see what's the foundation? It's truth. It's truth. Look at 1 Peter. Consider the order, family. 1 Peter, verse 22 says, You have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for sincere love of the brethren. You see that? Obedience to truth. Obedience to truth, you've purified your souls. Now you can love sincerely. You see that? Truth always is the precedence for love. For the sake of love, we're truth people. We have to. We have to recapture 
a biblical framework of how we view our prioritize, how we prioritize what we think. When we're in MAC groups, we're in our community, and you know standing for truth is going to cost you something. Don't cower and go, well, okay, well, I'll go back down here. No. God says you can graciously and kindly and with love stand for truth. I say this is going to be real unpopular in this group right now because I got a lot of feeling people in here. But I got to tell you something. All right? And you speak the truth. Why? Remember what we talked about before? That's who God is. Can I just say a few things? Not to care about truth, according to the scriptures, this is why this is important, I want to propose to not care about God. To love God passionately is to love truth passionately. You can't say, you know, I, I wholly love God, but I don't wholly love truth. You can't say that. Being God-centered in life means being truth-driven in ministry. I've tried to make the case that the Lord uses truth as a sanctifier, guys. It works in tandem. I don't have time. It works in tandem with the Word and the Spirit. I mean, when you, you know, if you get people who are just, we get focused on the Spirit, it's just emotionalism, you know? You people just focus on the word, that's intellectualism. They work in tandem. They work in tandem. But I'm proposing to you, the Bible is very clear. When you put truth on parity or below these other aspects, you've missed it. How do we fight against the sin of dishonesty? Here's three things, guys. First, we learn from truth. We love from truth. We live from truth. Let me just take you to a few verses. Um, we look at this, and I just, think, I just think we all need to ask the Lord to repent of a low view of Jesus. Um, the main thing that the Bible's teaching in, in this Proverbs here is that the reason why we have a shortcoming of truth is because there's something that's, that's, that's short-circuited when we think about our God. That's why, I talk, that's why I gave you, you thought it was remedial, you thought it was elementary. Yeah, okay, God is true, true. Yeah, you know what, though? If you are a wimp and, you're, and people say things and you, you're standing there and you're, you're in redemptive relationships and you're not calling people to vision and God has put you in someone's life and they're like, hey, I want to be more like Jesus and you just make them make you feel, they just think you, you they like you and you just want to make sure that they think you're awesome, you have missed the remedial, remedial teaching. You've missed it that God is serious about truth and that God wants you to step in there for the sake of his glory because now you're providing an accurate picture of the king. Passion for Jesus, I want to propose, is the fuel for truth. That's why you can't, you can't separate them. So look what the scripture says in verse 22 of chapter uh, 12. Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord, but those who act faithfully are his delight. You see that? A false witness will not go unpunished, and he will breathe out lies and will not escape. Uh, verse 13 of 28, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses for, uh, and forsakes them will obtain mercy. So we learn from truth, right? God is truth. Uh, we love from truth, which is a mark of wisdom. And I, I won't go through all these verses. Um, you can go online for the sake of time, okay, and look at these verses. And you can go grab a packet as well. I put a ton of verses up here to show you that, you know, what we're talking about seems to be robustly biblical. What I propose in uh, chapter 21 of verse 6, if you can scroll on down, it says, The getting of treasures by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a snare and a death. Right? That a mark of wisdom is both. We see mark of wisdom uh, that, that loving, like we live, we learn the truth, and then we love from truth. And, it's, and it's, a, it's a depiction of a mark of wisdom that you're wise and you're a person who loves the truth. And, he, and he's proposing this in Proverbs both temporally, like the down, and eternally. When you look at those verses. It says in, 20, in verse 28 of chapter 21, A false witness will perish, but the word of a man who hears will endure. I only gave you a couple of verses for the sake of time. And finally, we live from truth. 
Okay? We learn from truth first. We're convinced of it and we learn that we, we, we love from truth. We, we care for people from the, from the posture of truth. And then we live from truth. The covenant community is truth-based. Our community is truth-based, guys. And I want to lead us toward that end. Uh, that's my heart. And we're going to keep going there. Right? We want to be gracious, but we will not, we will not circumvent the truth in this local body. I just wanted you to know that now. All right, because you can get rumors. They're going to call you legalistic. You're going to get all that stuff. Don't worry about that. You be about what the Bible says. The scripture's posture in the sense of loving from truth is this, and living from truth is this, is that the, one of the main reasons we don't live from truth, here's what the scriptures are proposing, is that when you do that and when I do that, we're really saying we don't have a regard for our fellow man. That, I want to propose that's the posture, is that you and I disregard our fellow man, is that when you can look at somebody and then God has said, that's my baby, that's my jewel, there's areas and you're in his life, you're in her life, and you're in an environment where it's supposed to be redemptive, where you're supposed to be calling each other to vision, and you are not caring for each other, you're not p- pressing in there, at, at some level God is saying you don't really get that that shows a lack of love. That shows that you really don't love that person. Now the world will tell you, no, love is how they view you. I want to propose love is how you obey God. Two verses toward the end. We'll jump down to chapter uh, 26, verse 28. Let's give you an example. These are all talking about, all those verses are talking about speaking truth in community, guys. Again, I'm sorry, I don't want to uh, take up more of our time. Verse 28 says, a lying tongue hates its victims, and a flattering mouth works ruin. You see that? That's, right, counter gospel. What is desired in a man, verse 22 of chapter 19, is steadfast love, and a poor man is better than a liar, the scriptures say. You see that? Right. So we learn from truth, we love from truth, and we live from truth. I would propose that's the remedy against dishonesty and being a, a, a new created agent in Jesus Christ. Um, okay, real quick. Yeah, beautiful. Feelings and emotions are very important. They don't drive the train. They're here, right? There's, there's billions of words I could have put up here. Feeling made, feelings made a top five, right? They made a top five. So it's not that they're, so they're very important. Here's what happens in our communities. Here's what's happening in the world. Emotionalism is a doctrine now. And it's a celebrated doctrine of evangelicalism where we're saying, okay, not just, you know, running around and like spirit hunting. That's one aspect of emotionalism. But there's, there's an intellectual emotionalism that's entered into realms that you guys roll in, okay? It's people who are saying, hey, I know more than God. And here's what I think, here's what I feel, and here's what doctrine should be. That's even as scarier than people just running around talking about the spirit is in the closet and I got to go find a spirit every five minutes, okay? That's even scarier because those people are even super more arrogant. Right? And that's, that's, and that's your, you, this is the candidacy in this group. We're reformed. Our doctrine's kind of tight. We're serious about the scriptures. Beware of your arrogance and thinking, no, 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 no. I know people are saying this certain thing for thousands of years, but I figured it out. I'm 23. Beware of that arrogance. And so feelings, right, will, will, will affirm, right, and, and God has given us religious affections, so when we're doing these things, we experience these, but when they're not there, the question is, where do you run? And that's the issue. This is not about killing our heart. I'm a very emotional person. This is not about killing our heart. It's about, in a healthy fashion, having healthy feelings that can bring worship to Jesus. So very good question, John. So I want to affirm, hear me, please. Feelings are very important. John Edwards talks about our religious affections, that we should have an affection to Jesus, that we, as, we, as, we, as we walk with the Lord and we see his grace and we see him do things in our life and we see him do things in the community, we should worship Jesus and shout out to God and our hearts should be happy with joy as we have kids and as we're on mission and as we share our faith. We have affections for the Lord. He's created us with all that. Those things do not guide us. They just affirm God's goodness. If you're hearing this and you're thinking, okay, so now this is what I need to do to be an honest person, not a dishonest person, you know, okay, I got to work, I got to do this. You've missed it, okay? This is not about 
a get better scheme. It's not about you and me just being more honest, okay? And that's probably one of the biggest lies of Satan, right? Is that what he wants to take, he wants, he wants to take an attribute that's clearly in us because God created us, right? Being truthful. And then he wants us as, as believers who are, not, who are in the flesh and unbelievers, some of you are unbelievers right now, if you don't know the gospel, he wants you to try to obtain that attribute without the Lord, right? You can, you can be truthful. You don't need God. The goal isn't that. He tells us, he shows us our dishonesty and our evil, so it points to Christ. And that's what happened. And the reality is that God created us right, with that purpose, value, and worth. And then the Bible says you and I sinned, and we had audacity to think we were our own gods. We begin to live dishonestly as people, right? And we begin to frame a whole new reality. And what God is saying is that I could have destroyed you, but because of my grace and my love, I didn't. And that Jesus says what I wanted to do was give you another realm of, of a big shot of truth, and I sent my son Jesus, the truth. And Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And so I, so I want to I rescue you from that world of dishonesty. I want to rescue you from that world of thinking you can have your own reality, which is this falsehood, which is plastic pearls. and means nothing. And I want you to now be recalibrated to truth in Christ. And the way it happens is not becoming better. It's not doing more stuff. But it's by seeing Jesus die and hang on the cross for your sin and rise from the dead and say, now he who will come to me, he says, I'll give you rest. If you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. So the beauty of the gospel is not about us moving from dishonesty to truth, but it's about trusting in the truth, that we by faith say, Jesus, you're my king. It's not about me. I have to now become this honest person, but I need to trust the honest one. Will you be my king? Will you pay for my sin? Will you be my Lord and Savior? And Jesus says, by faith, right, by grace, through faith, he makes us his own. And that frees us to be able to hear these things and to be able to enjoy that I don't have to arrive here, but Jesus moved me toward that end. That's the beauty of the gospel. So please hear that. Understand why we're here. We're here because we want to be more like Jesus, okay, but not without Jesus, but because of Jesus. Please understand the difference. That's the gospel. That's why we're here. For the sake of time, I'm going to have to call tithe and offering what I want to encourage you is that all of our lives are dishonest and we need Jesus. And so I want to ask our body to think about what does it mean to be robustly truthful while being gracious, kind, and loving. All right, guys? Here's what we're doing right now. We're doing tithing and offering. If you're new here, we ask you to keep your wallets to your side and your purses to your side. We, not, we don't want your money. That's not our goal. Our aim is worship. Our Mac Avers understand that this is an object of worship. We just worship God because he's given us everything. If you are new here, you're our guest. We love having you. Thanks for coming. We hope you've gotten the gospel. We hope you've been encouraged in Christ. We desire to make much of Christ here. Um, if you get this as a visitor, that this is worship, worship your king, please. But don't do it out of compulsion. Don't give out of compulsion because that's not our desire. And also, if you right now did not understand the gospel, but today the Holy Spirit allowed it to click, and you're like, I want to be born again. I want to know Christ is my king. I refute the, the lie that I'm king, but he's king. Have this be your first aspect of worship to your Lord, of tithe and offering. Um, celebrate being a new child of God, okay? Let me pray for us. Uh, we're going to worship God through tithe and offering. We're going to sing out to Jesus, and then we're going to eat some food and enjoy the Lord together. Okay, guys, thank you for letting me go long.